Hello, my friends. Welcome to another episode of The Lamar Show. Uh, today's guests have been in the music business for a very long time. And in that time, they've achieved so much, working tirelessly behind the scenes. They've been involved in one way or another with many huge songs that we all know and love, as well as many artists' careers as well. They did a meme mix back in the day of one of my records. This convo is one that if you're in the music business or desire in any way to be in the music biz, you have to listen to from beginning to end. And I mean it. There are so many gems in this one. I was going to say thank me later, but I don't know. Maybe you should thank me now. Uh, today's guests are Tim Blacksmith and Danny D. Let's do this. So I am totally uh, honoured. Obviously, Tim and Danny, I've come across you, stumbled across your paths many, many times uh, uh, during my career, whether it be at award ceremonies or just in conversation. And uh, I've done a few of these interviews now. I spoke, I was speaking to, I don't know, Nick Raphael or, or Harry McGee, loads of different people. And on mic or off mic, your names always are always there and always in good stead and rightly so. So I thought it's probably going to be hard, but let me see how I can uh, uh, reach out. And let's see if we can get this on. And, you know, it was surprisingly quick. And I am so honored and very pleased that within the space of, I don't know, a month, we've been able to make this happen and a chance for people to hear knowledge which is not readily available to the masses from the horse's mouth so to speak you know so really from the bottom of my heart thank you so much for jumping on on the podcast it's a pleasure real pleasure and um, thank you for having us yeah thanks for the invite we don't normally get invited on to things like this so it's great crazy. to uh <laughs> at least document some of it Exactly. I saw an, an interview that you did not too long ago now, a couple of months back, and there were some really, really great points in it. Um, I like to focus on journey because I think, for me anyway, growing up, you're motivated by things that you can relate to. People who you see, whose personalities you can relate to. Mentally, it's easier for you to put yourself in their shoes and therefore be that much more inspired. So that's why I like to kind of uh, uh, focus on uh, on journey and begin at the beginning, so to speak. We can, you know, we can skim across some, but your, your career is extremely long. Um, but I would like to start right at the very beginning, pre-Tim and Danny, when it was just Tim or Danny. Tim, maybe, maybe you can start. Yeah, sure. Um, like anything, music you know, seeps into your body from an early age. And so when I was about six, yeah. there was a um, small music department at my primary school. They had drums, congas, timpani there. Nice. And I just loved the sounds of those instruments. I was just all about it. And then when I was about... 12, I managed to convince my father to buy me a drum set, which, you know, he later regretted, but um, <laughs> it led on to great things. Yeah. And when I was about 13, my mum and dad had had enough of me playing drums around the house and driving them bonkers. So my dad had a friend whose son had a band over in Greenwich and he needed a drummer. So my dad was like, ah, I've got someone who could come and play. <laughs> anyway, long story short, me and my brother, my brother played tenor sax. We ended up playing in this lover's rock band. A year later, when I was 14, 
the bass player whose band it was. He turned around and he said, yeah, this sounds great, guys. You know what? I think we should record this. And I was like, record? What's that then? He goes, don't worry <laughs> about it. Meet me at this studio. And he gave us the address and we ended up at this studio, which was underneath a Chinese restaurant in Chinatown. And we ended up recording the first record. I remember sitting there on these drums, playing away and hearing the drums come back to me in my headphones like this. And I was like, oh my God, this is great. This is what I want to be about. This is what I want to do. Long story short, two weeks later, sat around for Sunday dinner and there was a show that used to play reggae music on a Sunday. And it was on Radio London. It was presented by a fantastic gentleman by the name of Tony Williams. Tony plays the record and I was like, oh my God, this is, this is it. This is what <laughs> I want to be doing. So just that instance of hearing a record that you have played on coming back, that was it, you know? Yeah. Didn't know you could make money from it. Didn't know you can get sponsorships or you can get brand deals on all that stuff. It was purely and simply about the passion of being involved with music. Yeah. Um, and so from there, it just continued. I ended up doing sessions. Okay. I ended up meeting and working with some really, really great people. Everyone from Carol Thompson to Steel Pulse to a gentleman who we used to call Mr. Lover's Rock. His name's Alan Weeks. Yeah. And Godwin Logie, who was an engineer, mixer, who was incredible, did everyone from Loose Ends to Stevie oh. Winwood. And all of these oh, people were like really influential in my life as far as giving me insight and giving me an understanding of what it is to be involved with music. And for that, I am eternally grateful to them. And yeah. so I had other people in my life, like Karen Wheeler, who I went to school with, famous for Soul to Soul, Keep On Moving. Yeah, you went to school with her? Okay. Yeah, I went to school with Karen. Karen was one year above me at um, <laughs> Kingsdale School in, uh, in West Dulwich, yeah. which was another great learning curve because they had an incredible music department there. That gave me a lot of impetus as well. Yeah. Um, and then my journey from there on out has been pretty much about instinct, pretty much about meeting really good people, yeah. uh, pretty much about traveling, you know, to yeah. different parts of the world to meet other people. It's as simple as that, you know, but um, let me hand over yeah. To Danny. So what, this is before we met, right? Yeah, yeah, before you met, yeah. Damn, okay. <laughs> Where does it start? Okay, it's, for me, um, it literally starts at home. Born to Ghanaian parents, both of whose love for music was paramount. And okay. it didn't matter what genre, um, didn't matter what race, if it was good music, it got played. Nice. Um, 
and as a baby, my my mother realized that if I cried, it wasn't necessarily for food. They soon realized that if I cried and you put on some music, I'd go quiet. Oh, whoa. To the okay. point where my my cot, as we, we, we called them back then, I don't... I don't know if they still exist. The cots. probably a digital a digital cut now, probably, but <laughs> was was put by my my parents' stereo. Oh and wow! I didn't even know that until my teens, and when where my mum discovered a picture and went, "Look, I told you, you put your <laughs> stuck by the speaker, right by it, literally the same one which I then broke up years later to start a sound system." But you know, we won't talk too much about you that. You destroyed it. And so, yeah, so there was just like a, a natural love and environment for music. Also, I was born into a musical family. My my uncles had their Afro rock group called Osibisa, who were huge okay. in the in yeah. the in the seventies. My mum's first cousin had a huge high life band in Ghana, nice. Doctor Jesse and the Noble Kings. Yeah. They were huge. Love high life. Yeah. And there were many more. So I was kind of born into it. My dad's younger brother was an aspiring model slash musician artist himself. So the environment was there, even though coming from an African home, you know what your parents want you to do. It's doctor, <laughs> lawyer, lawyer, you, you, know, you know, the list. That is all. <laughs> so when I then like really, I'm talking like, I'm still at school but I'm really going, getting into my music and it's taken me off track because at this point oh. I start to bunk school on a Friday okay. to go to a club. There was a Friday afternoon club called Crackers in Wardour Street and it would start from 12, 12 to 3 and it was around the corner from my dad's workplace. Oh, I, My passion for it was just so strong. I just didn't care. And if I got caught, I got caught. <laughs> But this was the, like the real hub for me of seeing and hearing music and how it was being appreciated. You know, back then we only had like two or four hours on a, on a radio where you could hear the music yeah. that we loved. You know, yeah, yeah. there'd be a reggae show. Yeah. There'd be a, a soul show. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's it. It's not like it wow. is today. Yeah. It would be, yeah. who would it be? It would be Greg Edwards. Greg Edwards. And then it would be, uh, as I said, Tony Williams. Yep. And then you did have another guy on Capitol called Tommy Vance. And he had a show called TV on Reggae. And that would be it. But that used to come on in the middle of the night. But Middle of the night. Yeah, oh, yeah, when yeah. they used to put everything on way late. <laughs> yeah, man, very absolutely. Very yeah, very wow. so, so to then be in a club where you're hearing that music, and feeling it, being dancing to it, and just that yeah. vibe that you felt in there, yeah. I was completely hooked. But I must admit, at that time, I did have it in my head to be a pharmacist. But those okay, days, you were the same person then. I was going to be a pharmacist. We're uh, the same person. <laughs> trust me, if you want, as a kid, if you wanted to, if you wanted to get me something that would get me going, get me a chemistry set. And I'm okay. <laughs> I had every chemistry set going. <laughs> I can imagine you sitting in a cot by a speaker now with a chemistry set, just with go. a big smile in the face. There you go. But they did get, they did get, but you know, my my uncles and aunts getting me all these chemistry sets did get me into trouble because I then okay. um, one day at school on the days when I used to go to school, 
we didn't have a teacher for a chemistry lesson, so I decided to take the lesson. <laughs> and I start to do some experiments. And oh. I did a, a little concoction, and it, it made a, a lovely little plume in the room. Oh. But when, when all the smoke disappeared, the headmaster was standing there. And that was three extra days at home for me. Oh, man. Well, you're better that than me because I was never good at chemistry. Oh, I love it. Wasn't my school. cup of tea. Loved it. Oh, wow. And you know what? The lovely people at Kingsdale School used to turn around and they used to say, okay, if you're not in your lesson, but you're in the music department, it's all good. And I was like, oh, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. So That's a lenient teacher right there. Listen, I'm not going to big it up more than what I need to, but that was a game changer. And every Friday you could bring your own records in because they used to have a stereo oh, nice. system That's dope. In, the, <laughs> in the music department. So you could bring your own records in. Yeah. And so while all of these other guys were bringing in the Shawadi Wadis and the, and the Chuckman Jones and the Billy Cobhams and stuff like that, I would be bringing in King Tubbies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would be bringing in Augustus Pablo. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of the real heavy reggae dub. And they must have appreciated that, though. They must have, like, you know, people who weren't into oh, it. Oh, to... listen, yeah, yeah. I loved it. I loved it because it gave me an appreciation for music, all genres of music. Yeah, yeah. And that's the real key. I don't think if you're going to be a musician, I think you've really got to absorb as much as you yeah, can. Yeah, yeah, You've yeah. got to be like that sponge. Ultimately, that's what's going to lead you to having that incredible style or, you know, having that, yeah. that, that, that unique absolutely, thing. Absolutely. Yeah. That thing yeah. that sets yeah. you apart yeah. from everybody else. But I think that is, you know, the beauty of music as well is that it can bring you together with people who may not even speak the same language as you. But musically, oh yeah, no, that's dope. That's yeah. working, yeah, you yeah. know? That's yeah, crazy. No, very yeah. true. All right, so that's your, that's your, your you both had an extreme uh, love for music, which is great. Moving forward then. You know what? I just realized something. Oh, yeah. So at the same time that I'm bunking school and in a club on a Friday, yeah. I could possibly have been dancing and appreciating a tune that you played on. Maybe. Oh, Just wow. realised that. You know, it's, it's very, very possible. possible. If you were coming through the radio, yeah, Tim. Very possible. Maybe. <laughs> Dancing to his former, former to, sorry, to his former, to his future uh, partner <laughs> in crime. Maybe I died though, because the the, the the club you used to go to was Crackers, right? Yeah, but every now and then they'd let off a reggae tune. Would they really? Oh, yeah, yeah. The lovers tunes wow. were banging in there. I didn't know that. I didn't <laughs> know that. I mean, Crackers <laughs> was a real spot. You were, you were playing in Crackers. Crackers was, you, Is it? you needed to have proper money to get into Crackers. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah, whoa. so I couldn't okay. bunk school. Danny was in there all the time. Danny had proper money. <laughs> I, I saved. Just he was so in there know, all the time. Or Wardle I Street. Saved all my dinner money. That's what that was about. <laughs> you must have got a lot of dinner money. <laughs> <laughs> but but um, could have been, could have been, because I played yeah, on. Yeah, it's possible. Records with Carol Thompson. So maybe, yeah, maybe it, it was Paul Trouble Anderson was the DJ. Oh wow. Okay. Was it only in Paul then? Paul Danny? Anderson and George Power. Oh, wow. <laughs> so then if at the time that you were in the clubs, Tim's uh, stuff was playing in the clubs, 
what you know what, what what was the next advancement bringing you guys closer together did you cross paths much later no, after that we, we we crossed paths a little while later um my passion for music led me to being a dj and i ended up being a dj in at the time we're talking early 80s that's really letting my my age out at the back um <laughs> but it happened to be like one of the most popular clubs in, in london and on a Wednesday night, there used to be a magazine called Roots Magazine, which yeah. was like the magazine of the time. And they put on a night, which was the night in London. We're just DJs. We wow. didn't, you know, we, you don't realize what it really yeah, meant. Yeah. But yeah. if the doors opened at nine o'clock, at 9.15, yeah. the club is, is ram. Dance floor is popping. Wow. 15 minutes in. Wow. All the club promotion guys are showing up and they're just handing you these tunes left, right and centre. Okay. It led me into club promotion. It then led me into A&R, which then led me into making music myself. Those are big transitions though. You say it lightly. I mean, like even landing the slot as a DJ yep. in the major club, like how did, I mean, if you appreciate the music and love music the way you do, obviously naturally you're going to, at some point start playing it. But then that's still different to actually becoming a DJ and actually like taking the reins well, my, over a dance floor. Like, so, my my yeah. love for music was so strong yeah. that a journey um, started when I was, you see, I'm in Stonebridge, I'm doing the family shopping. Okay. But my family shop would take me past two record stores. One was called Jetstar in Craven Park, All right, yeah. Halsden. The other one was All Ears Record Shop. So okay, a, a, right. journey, a shopping trip, which should take me maybe an hour, would take me four or five hours because <laughs> I'm making up. He's I'm in the record, record shop. shop. <laughs> um, on one of those trips, a guy says, oh, my son's having a birthday party, but we haven't got a DJ. I said, I've got tunes. I'll, I'll, I'll do it. Oh, okay. Nice. I end up playing at this party. It went off in there, but it, parents show up at 11 o'clock to come and pick everyone up, right? Oh. But I then flipped the script. I'm like, ah, oh, the adults are here. I'm going to play for them. Okay. This party then goes on till 2.30 in the morning. Oh, wicked. One of the parents was the owner of Gulliver's Nightclub. Wicked. And he comes and gives me a card. Oh. Says, call me. I look at him like, yeah, right. Okay, whatever. Didn't even think anything whatever. of it. Yeah. My mate's dad said, do you know who that is? I'm like, nope, never never heard of him. Oh, he owns this club called Gulliver's. I'm like, oh, all right, really? I'd never heard of Gulliver's. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you were just, if it's not crackers, it's, I don't want to know. Trust me. Right. <laughs> um, but he persists. I didn't call him, but he called me. He was so impressed by what wow. he'd seen and how he, he was baffled by yeah. how a young kid can be playing music for an older person like that and really get them going. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So next thing I know, he says, come down to this spot. I go down there and he literally offers me a, a job on the spot. Brilliant. And my DJing um, career started. And that kind of, nice. you know, one thing led to another. I meet a guy called Erskine yeah. Thompson. He's one of the club promotion people, one of the, the true legends of of our game. Yeah. Yeah. I think people need to know what, about what he did. But he, he came to me, listen, I need you to understand that all these club promotion guys that are down here, including myself, they're doing their jobs through you. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, have you noticed they show up at nine o'clock, 
they give you their tune. If you play that tune, the next morning they're in a meeting chatting about how the tunes went has gone off. Okay, yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah. Your tastemaker. Yeah, but I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and he's like, listen, I'm starting a club promotion company. Are you up for for joining? And I'm always that guy who's like looking for the next thing. And I couldn't, I've got to be honest, as much as I was enjoying what I was doing, I couldn't see myself doing that forever. And I've got a job which is literally six nights a week. I'm playing the same set yeah. of records every single <laughs> night. You know, it's a job for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Everyone else is enjoying themselves. Yeah, they're there for that one moment. Yeah. Exactly. I couldn't see myself doing that forever. Okay. You know. So when this opportunity came up, I was like, you know what? Yeah. Snap. I could do that. And that began a whole nother another journey. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that was in club promotions after that. Yep. Then, yeah, which then led to A and R. I guess the two are kind of uh, very closely aligned. Yes, they are. But at that time, they'd had someone like myself who'd come along and be telling them, "This is the tune you need to be running, not yeah, this one yeah. that you you've signed." And right. you, know. you were quite confident and outspoken. Then I guess you get that confidence from actually uh, playing the records every day. You're seeing the people's reactions, so you're just like, "Nah, dude, 100%. you're wrong." That the other one's popping, I see. Yeah. I mean, I ended up remixing as well. And that came out of me being in a meeting about loose ends. And they play this tune. And the song was just ridiculous. Yeah. I'm like, this song is sensational. <laughs> but, and there's about 20 people in the room, including yeah. Erskine. Yeah. And I could, I could feel him looking at me. He's like, oh, no. But what, What's man? What's he going to say? <laughs> but what, man? And, and I'm like, but if I took that tune and I played it in my club tonight, Dancefloor's dead. Because oh. that tune has got no oomph to it. I said, right. it might sound good on the radio, but in the club, it's not going to work. That's not going anywhere. And that's where these records need to start. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And so big, big conversation happens. And then uh, I got literally confronted. So, okay, then, Mr. Know-it-all, <laughs> you go and do it. And I was like, and I sat there. There was that, you know, the, the, the five-second pause. <laughs> like, uh, what do I say? It feel, feels like 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Like, I've never done that before. But something telling me, you know what? I can do that. Give it a I try. I could push up some faders. I could, I could do that. <laughs> If only so it were that, that simple, push up some faders. Do you, you see know? what I'm saying? But I said yes, and then they put me together with the one and only Godwin Logie. And oh, my, wow. my, my My remixing career began. Absolutely. Nice. And that's how yeah. I got to meet Danny was through Loose Ends. Because okay, right. we had had, and we as in myself, my brother, and uh, a good friend of ours, Derek Johnson. We yeah. all went to school together, and then we uh, we we found this singer, and we put this record together for a friend of ours who was running a sound system at that time. Okay. And he noticed that there was one particular record that would always come on and kill the dance floor, and it was a song called Funky Sensation. Yeah. And he came and he said, guys, I want to do a cover of this record because no one can't get it. So we were like, okay, if we're going to do it, we want to do it in our style. So we want to do it 
in an up-to-date style. And at that time, you had Cameo around, oh, yeah, a yeah, song yeah. called She's Strange. Yeah. So we did a rub which was similar in sounds, had that snare sound, yeah. had that kick that would dig in your heart when yeah. it would, when it would, when the dig in your heart, you know, dig in your heart. Yes, yes, because sound design is a key part of, 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 of making music. And you learn that through reggae music. But anyway, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, the record was a minor hit and we were making more songs but we wanted to find a different label. And so long story short, Derek had a really good relationship with Steve Nickel from Loose Ends. Okay. And Steve said, you guys are doing great stuff. You should go and see Danny D. And I went, All right. who? He goes, yeah, dancing Danny D. He's A&R at Christmas. Danny and <laughs> yeah, and he's really good. And he's, he, he, you know, he's got good ears. You should go and see him. So I was like, okay. So we get the number and we call up, we make an appointment and we end up going to see Danny. Where was the office again, Danny? Just off of uh, Oxford Street. There's a little cold. Oxford Street. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Danny's always in central London, isn't it? Wardour Street, yeah. Oxford this Street. This is opposite Bond Street Station. There's a tiny little right. muse, like a cul-de-sac. I forgot the name of it. Yeah. And they had a building in the corner. No one even knew it was there. It was huh? weird. Well, anyway, yeah. we get there and we start playing the songs. Danny looks up and Danny's sort of like, yeah, this stuff's really good, but there's one problem. I said, what's that? He goes, you lot have got a chip on your shoulder. And we were really? okay. like, what? what? Was a vibe. So I was like, hold on a minute. Listen, please do not mistake my confidence for arrogance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because... At that stage, I had been through so much. We had done so many different things. You know, all we had was our confidence. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? There wasn't, there was no denying us. So anyway, long story short, you know, Danny burst out laughing after I said that. <laughs> and we were friends ever since that. Nothing ever came of the meeting. We didn't sign or anything like that. What did you think though at that point, Danny? Huh? In so that meeting, what was your what was your perception in that meeting? Like, what did you think? I had been mentored yeah. by uh, a guy called Andy Soika, who who was the owner of All Ears Record Shop that I mentioned earlier. Okay, and then Erskine Thompson. Now Erskine yeah. Thompson, I gave him the mantle of my second dad. Okay, that's that's he did full on mentor. Yeah. Trust me, he didn't let anything go by. Yeah one of his big things was about how we as young black men present ourselves. Okay. And even though we may not feel that we're presenting ourselves the wrong way, life has just made us and built us in a certain manner. So yeah. we could very easily come across in a certain way. Yeah. 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 And he slowly, for me, got rid of that thing. I saw a similar thing in Tim. And not that there was anything wrong in what, but there was just this little something. Yeah, as yeah. a fellow as a fellow man, I'm yeah. like, 
I've got to tell, I've got, I've got to mention that to my, to my brother. <laughs> Trust me. Thumbs down. No, he fucked. Tim's got, got, Tim's got the but. thumbs down. Yeah. <laughs> no, he was But the, the answer I got in bringing it up yeah. was like fantastic. And it opened up a whole nother conversation. We, we spoke for quite a long time about our backgrounds, our ambitions, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. A but Tim true... wanted to talk about the record and the deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it was more than it was more than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I, I, I think um, there are times in your life where uh, all of your upbringing from your parents and from people who you've met along the way really sort of like seep into your psyche, and I think you have a sense of knowing who you are what yeah. you're about you know what your what 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 your uh, aspirations are yeah and um i was just so fortunate at that stage to have done so much so i sort of was like yeah well no not really <laughs> you know yeah, um, in that cocky tone yeah, yeah no, no not really <laughs> yeah you know i think it was something where you know I've n never really had an industry job. Yeah. And you all you're left with is your own self-worth. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and yeah, you're that. not going to let anyone knock it because yeah, that's, the, yeah. from from yeah. from the time you get knocked, yeah, it's hard for you to come back. It's very hard. It's very very hard. Yeah, yeah. you know, so you got to really keep it up and I understand it and to this day I just signed a young man to Stella yeah. And when I first met him, he reminded me so much of me. Okay. You know, he's 19 years of age and he's talking about all of the things that he wants to go ahead and do. That's good. You know, and I was like, wow, look at that. You know, yeah. again, done a lot of it himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I, I can't tell you, Lamar, yeah. how important that is. Not everybody's like that. Yeah. Not everybody has that that uh, journey or that sense that of who they yeah. are. Yeah. But what is key, and Danny hit it on the head earlier, is having an Erskine in your life. Or like me, having a David Hines from I was gonna say that, yeah. in your life. Yeah. Who can plant those early seeds yeah. into your mind that tells you, yeah. bingy man. This is David now, right, from Steel Pulse. I'll never forget it. I'm 19 and he goes, bingy man. So you make music then? I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he goes, you're putting your area on the block? I said, what do you mean? He goes, are you putting Brixton on the block? And I said, explain. He goes, well, you heard that record we put out called Handsworth Revolution. And I went, oh, yeah, David, I remember that song. Yeah, of course, I love that song. He goes, you know, everywhere we go, whether it's Greece, whether it's the United States, whether it's yeah. Brazil, whether it's yeah. Argentina, everybody asks, where is Handsworth? Okay. And I get to tell them where Handsworth is in Birmingham. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. you got to represent your area. And through that, I went back and I said to my brother, I said, oh, you know what? When we do our mixes, 
we need to call our mixes the Brixton Bass Mix. <laughs> and that's where that whole name came from. Came from, yeah, yeah. And I think that um, irregardless of what your background is, so long as you are aware of how people will interact with you, always listen, always take time to listen to what they've got to say. And then, yeah. you know, you want to keep some of it, you keep some of it, something you're not too sure about, you're not too sure about. Yeah. Yeah. But again, you know, it's very, very important. Mentorship is very important. Outreach is very important. And I felt yeah. that meeting with Danny was very fateful because here we are, God, how many years ago was that? 30 odd years ago, Danny, yeah. here we are wow. still growing together, still building our yeah. business together. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you spoke for a while, yeah? Yeah. You were impressed with each other. And then, uh, Tim, you got back on to doing the music and working that record and you're still in that A&R position. Yeah. So then how does it come full circle again to where you're saying, all right, let's do something together on whatever level? Well, we then, via my A&R role, um, a scene popped up. The Acid House scene. All right. Came to be. And being, you know, part of that club world, it's put on my table very early. And a guy called Gary Hazeman calls me and says, Danny, running this club, you need to see what is going on in the middle of winter <laughs> in central London on a, on a Monday night. Oh, wow. It was known as a huge gay club and they used it on a Monday okay. for, the, for, this, for this night. So yeah. it wasn't heaven then? Heaven. Heaven. Yeah. Oh, oh, I remember. Right. Heaven. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At heaven, and uh, <laughs> and I remember I remember going down there, my coat because it was a big old scarf, yeah. my Farah slacks, <laughs> and and just like a normal everyday shirt yeah. that I could have been a bank teller <laughs> going in there that day. When they opened the door to let me in the condensation that hits me was like, <laughs> what the hell is going on in here? I look further. Sweat and enjoy. It's literally, it's like literally like you're at, it's like you're at the beach. Oh, wow. It's so that hot That kind of there. heat. Half these kids are wearing, uh, the guys are wearing swimming trunks, the girls are, some of them are in bikinis, literally. <laughs> this is the middle of winter and this thing is going off. Wow. Wow. <laughs> you know, Heaven's still going now. It's still, I think you believe yeah. it is. Yeah, it is. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I come. I come out of there. I happen to be doing a remix for Pete Tong. Okay. For Salt and Pepper. Yeah. I go back to the studio, and all I'm trying to do is to explain to <laughs> what the you guys just saw. at the studio what I've just seen. <laughs> Yo, I just saw this thing, man. You should We're see these, these What's guys, these girls, and the music, and. They're looking at me like I've t I'm on something <laughs> as I'm trying to explain. So it's not working. So I'm like, you know what? Let me just knock up something. So I knock up this track okay. to explain what I've just heard. Right. This is it. That's all it is. It's just a simple drum track. Put a delay on that. Yeah, just bubbly B line. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. They're still looking at me like a bozo. <laughs> so we kind of leave it, finish off the mix. Yeah. I go home the following morning. I've got Pete Tong on my phone. 
I think he's calling me to say, yes, that salt and pepper remix you done yeah, is wicked. wicked. Yeah, yeah. Love it. No, he starts chatting about some other tune to the point where after about 10, 15, I'm like, Pete, can you do me a favor? What are you he's talking about? He's playing because I don't know what the hell you're talking about. And then he presses play at his end. Yeah. And it's that little track <laughs> that I knocked up to play the guys. Oh, the man. engineer had stuck it on the end oh. of the of the dat. Okay. Oh, wow, and that. Pete, All right, yeah. On that. And Pete starts, oh, we're doing this album, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, wow. I literally said to him, you can have it. Oh, is it? Literally. You, you were like, it's it. just that I just your threw it time. together. You can have oh, it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you, can, you can have it. Okay. So we, we it, you know, I ended up finishing off the tune. Yeah. He put it on the, he put it on, on his, on his album. Yeah. I was actually at that time being touted here in America to come and work at Warner Brothers. Okay. So Benny Medina had flown me and my then manager, Simon Fuller into LA. Simon, all right. So yeah. So we're in LA living it up. I've got to say, I won't say what we were doing, but we were living it up. Then we, then we, we get a phone call. Uh, you need to come back to, to England. Come back to England. What will come back to England yeah. for? I mean, LA, I'm living Chilling. it up. It's good First out here. time I'd seen a Mercedes SL, <laughs> and we had one, and we're driving around in it. And it's Pete Tong telling us, you need to come back to England because your record's about to go top 10 in, in England. I'm like, oh, what? man. <laughs> oh, man. And we need a video, and we need this. And we it was like, right. As much as it's chances, chances and opportunities, it really is just... Hard work and something being genuinely good. And then yeah, from absolutely. that passion and that good thing, other things, you know, uh, you know, take come, come to fruition. It. Yeah, come through it. And yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. It's not rocket science. Yeah, yeah. Brother Lamar, I know people can go to school now and learn this, right? Yeah. You can go to university to study music management. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, uh, you know, a business study, music business studies, and and everything. But I think if the passion yeah. and the belief, the self belief is there, there we go. Then all of this is all possible, and it, it's a it, it's a fantastic journey. You know, did you I, ever come across times when you know the passion's there, the drive is there, but the wall doesn't seem to be moving. The door doesn't seem to be opening as quick as it needs to be. Yes. Yeah, but uh, uh, yes, but that's all part of the process. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's all part of the 10,000 hours, isn't it? Yeah, it's correct. It's that's all correct. part of the, uh, of the journey. Look, there were people at school in the music department who were 10 times better than me and my brother, right? Yeah. But myself and my brother, we still had that passion. We still had that desire. Yeah. Still walking home in the rain, not having money for uh, a lot of things. Yeah. And so those, th those who, you know, didn't want to live that life ended up working for London Transport yeah. or working, you know, at Selfridges or working at Harrods or whatever. Yeah. And you bump into them and they go, yo, blacksmith. And I'd be like, yeah, what's going on? And they'd be like, are you still making the music? I was like, yep, I'm still making the music. Still at it. Even still though I've got it. no money in my pocket. Yeah. I just felt like, you know what? I love this. Even though I, I had 
We all had challenges. I always felt like it was a fantastic journey. I loved that vibe, that feeling yeah. of going past a record shop, hearing one of your tunes getting rubbed yeah. or, you know, and especially in Brixton when the, where car systems were really carrying the swing yeah. when it was really big. Yeah. And you hear them dropping one of your mixes, like yeah, it's a buzz, like the Blacksmith remix of Fifty Fifty. <laughs> the classic, you know what I mean? the classic, the classic. And then you're like, oh, okay, <laughs> okay, okay. Then you know, like, then you know, like, yeah, okay, I'm on the right path. Yeah, and that's yeah. and that's and that's part of the journey, you know. Yeah. And going back to how me and Danny's paths crossed again was a similar one. It was again Pete Tong. Okay, Pete Tong. Heard a record that we had done that our our manager at the time, uh, a gentleman by the name of Dave Durrell, who was really famous in that club area. He had a club called Love. Okay. And similar to the time that Danny was talking about, that West End underground club, Love was that. Yeah, it was, love was banging. Yeah, it was yeah. underneath the YMCA on Tottenham Court Road. Okay. And him and another good friend of ours, a guy called CJ McIntosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They created a scene that, you know, everybody was talking about. So anyway, Dave Durrell and Pete Tong, very, very good friends for that very reason. Yeah. And Dave plays Pete this record that myself, and my brother and another friend of ours, Peter Trotman, had made. Okay. Yeah. And it was a classic uh, US house record because we were really influenced by a lot of the US house music that was coming out from Chicago at that time and also from New Jersey. Okay. And so long story short, get a call from Dave. Oi, Pete Tong wants to see you guys. And we're like, really? Why? <laughs> he goes, he wants to give you guys a deal. And we're like, really? He goes, yeah, 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 yeah. So we go up there and he likes the record. We play him a couple other records. He goes, I really like this one and do a deal. And anyway, long story short, we do the deal. And London Records at that time, FFRR, they had that, they were like, the label at that time. Yeah. They had all of the big house records going on at that time. And they also had all of the big pop records with people like Banana Rama, yeah. uh, Fine Young Cannibals. You know, the whole label just had a real great vibe about it. Yeah. So it was great to be a part of it. They also had people like Cookie Crew. And then they also had Danny. And... Pete goes, Oi, there's this record by D Mob. And I go, D Mob? goes, Yeah. Do you know Danny D? I went, Yeah, of course I know Danny. I haven't seen him in years. Yeah. And he goes, Listen, he's got this record coming. It needs a rub. You guys should do it. All right. So we were like, Yeah, okay. He goes, Listen, I'm going to connect you with him and you guys discuss it. So we got on the phone and we was like, Whoa, Danny. So we're label mates now. And he was like, really? I goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Blacksmith. We, you know, we just, he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pete just gave me one of your tunes to mix. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. So, yeah, but I loved that camaraderie. Yeah. I loved that, um, uh, that real, it takes a village 
mentality that was currently going on then. Yeah, it, was uh, a vibe. it was. It was a great mentality. Sounds like it. You know, sounds like a hub of creativity. Oh, it was incredible. It was that and a vibe. Now, as much as you had your Pete's and all these other A and R, it was a and it was a great A and R team. I've got yeah. to got to say, it was. You had Roger Ames. Yeah, yeah. Now imagine imagine going to your record company, which is like say a five story building. You park your car outside. As you walk in, there's someone standing on the fifth floor at the top of the stairwell yeah. shouting at you. Shouting. And it would either be shouting, shouting down to you. It's like, <laughs> Danny D, yo, where's me beep record? <laughs> and you'd be like, yeah, yeah, it's coming. It's, it's coming. coming. It's coming. Working but it was it. all part of the vibe because yeah, yeah. it wasn't like the, like the chairman was up in some room that you never, never saw, saw or heard had of. to book a meeting it 11 was part of it. Yeah, and 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 you know. and, and you got to remember that label had so many hits at that time, Danny. Banana Rama, Bronski Beat, even uh my good brother there um Junior Giscom. Oh man. A yeah. lot of people forget this, but Junior Giscom had the first R&B number one in America by an English artist. Is that Mama okay. used to say, yes, yep. brother. That was the first one. And it was okay. on London Records. It was. I bought the vinyl again just the other day. Yeah, it oh, was yeah? on London <laughs> Records. So um, at that time, they just had the momentum. They had that sound. They had yeah. really carrying the swing. And so that's how me and Danny reconnected. Uh, was was at London Records and okay. um, Danny was like, I'm working on an album and, you know, we, we should get together. And so okay. um, he reached out and we all connected down in Warminster, as I was telling you. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. The, the place with no crime. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like something from out, out of a... a, 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 a Hitchcock movie. You know, you drive through the centre of of town and uh, all the front doors would be left open. Wow. And then you get into the car park and <laughs> all of the cars have still got their car keys in it. And That's you're thinking, madness. what's going on here? But um, <laughs> it was a beautiful studio. It was the old Tears for Fears studio. Okay. And we started working on, what album was it, Danny? I think I was working on about four different projects at the same time. Okay, yeah. Okay. The one thing that I personally got from the relationship with Tim on a musical level yeah. is someone who understood not only what you were doing, but where you came from. It was a, okay. it was a big, big part. There were conversations that you didn't need to have. I yeah. don't need to have the conversation about the lovers rock tune because yeah. he understands what Just I mean knows, when yeah. I say blah, blah, blah about the beeline yes. Yes, or yes, yes. about the kick because yeah. we're coming from this similar Same place, yeah. place, you know, so I was getting this thing from him where if I'm doing something, Tim would be, and I'll be totally honest with you, he'd be the only person who could come along and make me think twice about what okay. I've just done. If Tim comes along and would say, are you sure about that? You, Normally to... I'd be telling the man, yo, you know what? Where would yourself? But when Tim would come along and say, are you You're sure like, uh, about let that? Let me think about are this. Are you sure about that drop you've got here? And are you sure about that sound? 
Yeah. I would think. It would make me think. Yeah. I respected his point of view. Yeah, that's right. You know, because yeah. we, we, we were on a similar path. Yeah, I mean, look, I just loved music, studied music. Yeah. Go down to Black Market, go and see Mickey D. Mickey <laughs> D, oh, have you heard this? He puts it on and them drums are hitting you in your head. It's a Teddy Riley record. Jean-Marie Hovat has mixed it. Um, her powers has mastered it. Yeah. And you were aspiring to get your records to drop like that. Like that, yeah. So yeah, when I used yeah. to come into Danny's sessions, and Danny's playing a record, and I'd be like, yo, Danny, the kick levels you got there, that ain't right. And what, yo, why is the bass line so quiet? And Danny would look at me, Marius. he go, Marius, push that level up there. And then, and, then, and then we would leave and we'd go and have some food or something and Danny would go, oh my God, telling these men here for hours. You know, they'd be like, are you sure you want that kick level at that, at that level? <laughs> And I'll be like, yo, Danny, trust me. If it's my session, I'll be like, mate, come on. That's what I want to hear. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you know what? I think during that time, those times, it was really interesting. It took me a minute um, to really get engineers to understand what it is I'm looking for. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it got to the stage where I would bring records with me and okay. say, no. Yeah, that would be the only way, actually. Yeah, I'd be like, no. I see to A and B and say, listen, yeah. Yeah, I'd be like, no, this is how I want it to sound. I'd go over and I'd put the record on and I'd put it on and he'd listen to it and the engineer would go, oh my God, wow. Oh, there we go. I get it. Yeah. They'll be telling you about this, the stereophonics. Yeah. Oh, 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 no, 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 no. Listen, listen. Be like, no, 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 bro. No, no. There was this lovely <laughs> no, no. guy who used to master. I remember I took one of my records to him yeah. for him to master. And I had a really low 808 sub kick drum in there. So every time it, it would go, his compressor would go, like, would go on full, would go on max. And it would be like, are you sure? Are you sure that's supposed to be there like that? And I'd be like, "Yes, yes, yeah. it is." Yeah. Sometimes it's not what the meat is telling you; it's how what you feel. If it feels right, that's what it is. Oh my goodness! And and I think again, going back to what I was saying earlier, sound design is a key part of who you are and how you make music and what makes you distinctive. You know, when you hear a Dark Child record, you know it's him. You know yeah. it's Dark Child, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. When yeah, you yeah. hear a, a Teddy Riley record, you knew it was him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most when definitely. you heard a Frankie Knuckles oh. record, you knew it was him. You know, even though it could be Satoshi Tomi or it could be a Dave Morales rub in there, you just knew yeah. it was them. Going down to record stores and listening to records and being influenced by them, bring them back home, studying them, you know, sort of really sort of like put you in that frame. In you that know? frame of mind, yeah, yeah. A progression that's seldom made is one from artist to executive in the way that you guys have done it. 
it makes a little bit more sense now because I see in Danny's background, you're cr- kind of already straddling both sides. There was yeah. that kind of a element already in there, yeah. you know, and you both had a serious passion for music. Being an artist, I can only talk from being an artist. Yeah, so being an artist, there's a passion and a commitment to your music. That is great. It drives you forward, but it can also be not not detrimental. You can get to a point where you need to 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 know when to jump ship. Like when you're not jump ship, jump ship is the wrong word, but move to the next thing or move to the next uh, recreate, evolve. You know, mm-hmm. so in you guys, your evolution—it's just—it's crazy. I, for me, looking in to go from passionate music lover to artist slash A&R, and then you move into certain types of negotiations, <laughs> signing artists, and you know, publishing, and 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 make it work on the level that you have. It's not a thing that artists or people in that lane usually make successfully. You know, they might do it for a little bit. It might last for a year or two. They might have a hit here or there. But for it to be so consistent is, uh, I think, extremely remarkable. So, you know, going from production, how did you then move into, well, I can't even say one thing because it's not one thing. It's so many, <laughs> you've kind of, <laughs> I'm trying to find what, what the next step but it's so broad. I, that think, it's, I it's, think I know what you're yeah, trying to yeah, say. Okay. I think I know what you're trying to say. Help me yeah, out. Um... <laughs> Well, okay, so for me, when I started doing mixes, it really took off and it started to really generate. I remember I did a mix for a group called The Sounds of Blackness, and the record was called I'm Going All The Way. And the record took off and it was really successful and I just got inundated. Okay. I couldn't do it all, but at the same time, I didn't want the work to go elsewhere and the job not be great. So I was like, listen, I can't do it, but I got this guy called Steve Anthony. He could do it. Okay. And so I'd call up Steve. They'd go, oh yeah, all right then. We trust you, Tim. And then Steve would come on board and he would mix it. And then, um, I did the same for another young producer at that time who had a sound going on at the time, which they called Speed Garage. And his name was Booker T. Yeah, Booker T. And Pete Tong called me up, said, Tim, I want you to mix, you know, All Saints. I said, oh, sorry, I haven't got time to do it, but I've got this guy named Booker T. He could do it. Booker does the record. The record goes platinum. And that's how I fell into producer management. It wasn't something that I designed. It was just simply and purely because I knew there were other talented people out there like me who I felt should be given those opportunities. And then that led on to another young guy who was based in America called Brooklyn Funk. And he ended up doing uh, Mary J. Blige and lots of other people. That's how I fell into producer management. It wasn't by design. Right, so it was just, you were overloaded with with with, uh, yeah, with, with work. So you're like, all right, it I'm was. gonna start passing it off to people that I think are talented. It was, right. and then for, for me, I'd, I'd say environment has had a lot to do with it. Um, and okay. being managed by Simon Fuller. I'm and huge. Being part yeah. of that whole 19 entertainment um, setup. Yeah. 
he brought me into he brought me into a role there where I was kind of like his A and R or music consultant for oh, nineteen. He was your manager, huh? He was your manager, you said, yeah? He was my manager. But he's also doing Spice Girls. He's doing Annie Lennox. Oh, yeah, he's yeah, doing, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you name it. So I'm mixing yeah. Annie Lennox. I'm yeah. in meetings about Spice Girls. In fact, well, I'll tell you a, a famous story on, on that one. <laughs> please so, don't. No, I will. I'll tell please you. don't. I've had to live with please it. Please do. Oh, please do. God. I've had to live with it. But it's like, oh, you, so, you've got to tell that one. So, I get the call. Got this group, we got this tune, we want you to come and come listen to the tune. So I go up there to listen to the tune. They put on this tune and I'm like, yo, this is nonsense. Utter oh, man. Oh, nonsense. Man. Rubbish. Is is that's all that's in my head. Right? Terrible. In the room is the whole top brass of Virgin. They're all in they're all in there. <laughs> telling me what's going to happen with this tune blah blah yeah. blah 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 I'm like mm, oh, don't know about this one mate <laughs> they let it off again I'm still just like nah oh wow nah not nah so the lyric that they got cuz and they told me um, cuz this is what they had in their head this is going to be a number one record so i my reply to that was the only way that that record is going to be number one is when you turn the chart upside down. That's how I felt about that tune. And that tune is called Wannabe, which ended up being <laughs> number one worldwide. Listen, we all worldwide. have them. Not, listen, not a small we all, one. Listen, not we a, all small, have a huge them. one. I, I just got to say, Lamar, there was one day I went to see Danny up at the 19 offices and yeah. Simon was there and they were all there and they went into Simon's office and they closed the door and me and Danny are talking and Simon puts the record on and I'm like, yeah. oh my God, Danny, what is that? Danny says to me, Tim, <laughs> they think this record's going to go number one and I burst out laughing. <laughs> oh, I'm like, and Danny goes, yeah, I told them the only way that choose going to go number one is if they turn <laughs> if they the chart upside, upside down. down. <laughs> so anyway, long story short. How many, how many records did that sell? Done. But you know what? The Friday before release, it nearly came, yeah. what I said nearly came true. Because on the Friday before release, they weren't getting any love on that tune. Radio weren't really in it. They had a few commercials. The Friday things. before release? The Friday before. I speak to Simon. And Simon says, you know what? It's not looking good, but... Because they nearly pulled it on the Friday. He goes, but... Yeah. I've forgotten the name of the show. One of those Saturday morning music shows had agreed to show the video for 30 seconds. That's all they had. 30 seconds? 30 seconds. Not even the whole thing, just 30 seconds. Wow, okay. Yeah. He goes, I think we're just going to... We're going to suck it and see. And it blew up, blew up after that. It got played at 11.30. At 12.30, literally, it was a number one record. Because all the kids that seen that thing went mad. Yeah. I think they then showed the full video at the end. Come the Sunday, all the stores who had got a copy, I think they'd all got one copy each. <laughs> they were gone. So wow. they, they went into reprint on the, on the Sunday. And the rest mm. of the history. That's crazy. Just so It was just exposure that was needed. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Wow. I'm still not sure story. about the record. A, likewise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all, popular, but, you know. we all have them. We all have them. Yeah. We all have them. But it was a great learning experience. Yeah. It was. And so, look, the journey continues because through remix and producer management, I meet Tor from Stargate. Okay, yes, Tor, Stargate. And okay. he came to me and he asked a friend of mine whether he knew me because he had an artist because Tor was A&R at that time at Warner in Norway. And he had an artist that he wanted me he to meet. He was A&R? Yes, he was. He head was of head A&R. of A&R <laughs> at Warner in Norway. And so anyway, long story short, Tor gets me uh, to mix this young R&B artist that he had just signed. And you can imagine R&B in Norway at that time, no one was in it. But I liked what I heard. And I was like, yeah, I'm up for it. And he said, yeah, if I, you know, when the mix is ready, let me know and I'll come and I'll meet you in uh, up at your studio in Brixton and take a listen. So anyway, yeah, mix finished. He comes by. I play him the mix. He loves it. He was like, listen, we're making an album. Do you want to be a part of it? Yeah. I was like, yeah, absolutely. He goes, means you got to come to Norway. I said, I'm good. That's fine. Yeah. Because I'd been yeah. traveling a lot up until that point anyway. I'd been going yeah. to Holland. I'd been going to France. I'd been going to Germany for Popcom as it was then in Cologne, which was like a real big music trade event. It doesn't exist anymore, but it was incredible. So, you know, I ended up in the north of Norway in this incredible studio. And I mm. thought to myself, hmm, whoever's put this together is serious. They're serious about okay. what they're doing. Long story short, they asked, would I be interested in managing them? Because they had seen me doing producer, so-called producer management. And yeah. so I was like, yeah, hold on, okay. Hold on. So towards the ANR, yes, asked you to do a remix for an R&B Artist, guy. yes. No, it was a girl. Her name was Noura. Okay. And then... Ask you to manage the girl or him? No, to manage Stargate at that time. There were... Uh, and he was head of NR though? Yes, he was. So, of course, he was okay. conflicted. It's all like all mixed. Oh, yes, yeah, all mixed. <laughs> he was oh. conflicted. But at the same time, to me, didn't make it didn't make much difference to me because I thought, you know, there were plenty of my friends yeah. who were making records but were also A&R, Danny being one, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And then there was another very famous producer A&R person. His name was Timmy Regisford. And Timmy made some of the most iconic house records going. Okay. So, you know, it wasn't unheard of uh, for me of people being A&R, but also mixing and producing and DJing. Yeah. It was all encompassing. So long story short, I come back from Norway and I call up Danny and I said, Danny, you know, we've been looking to work on something for, for a minute. He goes, yeah. I said, I think I found it. So then he came down to my studio in Brixton and we sat outside in his car and I played him the music. And first song in, Danny's like, when can we go? I said, we can go tomorrow. Seriously. So anyway, long story short, me and Danny end up in the north of Norway, minus 18. Nice. 
two hours of daylight. But again, <laughs> he sees exactly the same thing that I saw, which is the guys were together. They had invested a lot of money into their studios. Yeah. And the place was incredible. And it you, was like, yeah, you know, and Lamar, you could, it was like the first time you walked into Metropolis Studios. Yeah. You know that moment? Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. You know that moment when you walk in and you're like, yeah. And so <laughs> you look around like, okay. Danny goes to me, yeah, Tim, this is a no brainer. Let's do it. Let's go. That's and good. so Danny had some ideas. So again, back to Simon Fuller, if you're saying about connections. So Simon yeah. had put together another group. They were called S Club, S Club 7. 7. Oh, yeah, I remember them. You remember them? Yeah, yeah. So we were literally in the throes of putting that project together. And I was okay. personally going to produce uh, some tunes. But upon hearing what the guys had right. done, I was like, you know what? I should get them to do it. Okay. The great part of that was going to have the discussion with Simon, who obviously has faith in myself. Yeah. But for me to then go to him and listen, just met these met these guys. I think they're fantastic. I want to give them the tunes to produce. And his answer yeah. was, "Okay, go for it." But if they mess up, you got to go sort it out. I'm like, you know what? That's a good deal. Wicked. So literally, the 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 Stargate, as you know them, it it the story began. So their first jobs of real note was S Club 7. At the time, we were on a hunt for a theme tune. So I explained to the guys that we're looking for a theme tune, and we tried, we'd been everywhere. We didn't have it, didn't get it. Explained to them what what we wanted. Okay. They're like, okay, yeah, you know, we'll we'll give, a, give it a go. And it felt like, from the conversation, it literally felt like two days later, I received this dat. I remember putting it on. <laughs> And I'm in my pajamas, actually, because it came that early in the morning. And it was like, yo, we've got the theme tune. I called Simon. He was on his way out. Oh, wow. I said, just stay where you are. I'm heading over to you now in my pajamas, by the way. <laughs> Get in my car, head over there. I press play yeah. on his system. And he goes, we've got the theme tune. Is it? Brilliant. <laughs> Yeah, literally. Anyone looking in on someone's career or someone's journey from the outside, especially when when there's some some degree of success involved in 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 their journey, it can seem to the outsider that wow, do you know what? They're just super clever. But everyone that I've spoken to, it really is passion led. It's like I'm really having a good time doing this, so I'm going to continue doing what I love and interacting with people who are on the same wavelength. And it's kind of led them to naturally to where where they've ended up. I'm sure there's some strategic um, uh, thought when an opportunity arises. As far but- as strategy is concerned, there wasn't any strategy. The only strategy there was, was, is the music any good? Because that's the first thing people hear. So there wasn't really a strategy as such. It was just that, can they deliver? And yeah. between myself and Danny, you know, my first meetings with Stargate was music-led. It wasn't about yeah. a deal. It wasn't about anything other than they were making really good music. Yeah, but I think I think something that did um, kind of bind us together and bind bound the whole thing together was a conversation that we had. I think it was in, in Brixton. 
one day and it was about what we had experienced and how we could give others that experience that we didn't get there were certain parts of the of the chain which i felt was missing i was lucky with a with okay. a simon fuller because i remember actually having a big kickoff with him one day thinking that Ooh. simon didn't understand where i'm from to the point where he then reveals i just need you to know that i lived my formative years in ghana i was like you what whoa okay i'm gonna say that again and he literally in told Ghana. Me, yep he his, his father i think, believe his father was a like a teacher who who traveled around the the african continent and Ghana. he was posted in ghana for quite a few years so oh, wow so simon and his, and his family his formative years were spent in ghana so he had a take on life which was which was different you know so that's really cool from once i understood that with him it was like okay i get you understand half of my dna but there were others who didn't necessarily understand that they didn't under you know for me it's that thing that I could converse quite freely with Tim about. Yeah. I can't converse to someone else because yeah. you don't understand it. You don't understand what goes on in my home. Yeah. You don't understand how we listen to music. You don't understand what we get from it. You know, and that for me was a big, big part that other I'd realized that other musicians at that time were not getting. Not that the not that their managers yeah. weren't great. They were great managers, but that link yeah. was missing. Mm. yeah it's a big thing yeah. for us. i was saying this too i was having a conversation we finished a podcast and i had a, a longer conversation with uh with one of my guests and and um they mentioned you they were like oh tim and danny they did this great interview um with uh was it music business world or yeah. music world business and i should i need to go and check it out i said definitely i went and checked it out I said, it's brilliant and he was saying obviously at the time the whole uh black lives matter yeah. was at the forefront and, you know, he was saying, you know, have you ever experienced anything like that? And I said, no. I said, I think the thing is really it's an inclusion thing. And I don't mean inclusion in the sense of uh, black or white. I just mean like what you were just saying that for an artist to feel that they're on a similar wavelength or can relate to where you're coming yeah. from and your opinion in order for you to express yourself freely and talk freely. Indeed. You know, I said, regardless of race, if you were to step into a room if say i don't know someone from bulgaria was to go to italy and walk into a room with only italian people in a certain village and everyone gets along you're still going to feel slightly apprehensive to express yourself fully until you fully understand the situation and also you're always going to question yourself as to do you understand where I'm coming from? Because I'm from Bulgaria and I'm not really sure, you know, we like eating fish on a Sunday and you guys <laughs> don't really get it, you know? So that whole inclusion bit yeah. and making sure that you're represented so that you can say, actually, do you know, I'm coming into this room within five, 10 minutes. I feel like I can really speak my mind and stand up for myself. Because not everybody can stand up for themselves. Not everybody is articulate. Not everyone can express themselves in the right way. And some people need more time or less time, which they may not have or get, True. you know? So uh, that that whole inclusion bit or just having someone on the same wavelength, I think is is, is really important. So it was, it's cool that you said that that mattered to you. Big part for me. Absolutely. 
Um, okay, so the so the Stargate journey was has been an amazing one. They are and the combination of them and your relationship, obviously, absolute powerhouse. I'm. It's it's again. I, I it's confusing from the outside to understand how how continuously creative and continuously expansive a team can be. Mm-hmm. That's been great, and a journey that still continues. Correct, because you've got numerous other ventures together as well, right? Yes, indeed. Um, one of them is Stellar Songs, which is our publishing company, Yeah, which we started. Did that arise orga- organically as well? It started yeah. from a conversation that we had with Tor. And Tor said, we should start a pub company. And I was like, yeah, I love that idea. I said, you know, because we can then give young writers an opportunity to do things. And so... Um, in 2004, we approached Guy Moot, who at that time was Stargate's publisher, and we had had tremendous success together. And we said we wanted to do a publishing company, and it was a joint venture. And his his managing director at the time, a gentleman by the name of Marty Bandia, who's a legend, he was like, mm, yeah, I'm not sure. You know, these joint ventures don't really work. But Guy, he was really, he was really on it. He was like, yeah, no, 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 no. I trust these guys, you know, and look, we're having tremendous success with Stargate. I want to do this. So anyway, we end up doing it. And the first two people we signed were two yeah. people that Tor took me to see in Oslo, in Norway. And their names are Armin Bjorklund and Espen Lind. Espen had already been quite a big artist and a big star in Norway already and had a career. And Armin was producing a lot of those records for Espen. And and they were writing and they were producing. So I went over to their studio and I saw them and they started playing me these songs. And again, you know, the songs were great. Anyway... Long story short, within two years, we had our first number one, and that was irreplaceable for Beyonce. Espen played guitar, and Tor was like, Tim, I think this could be great. Neo wrote the song, and I remember it like it was yesterday because (laughs) I walked in and I said to Neo, oh, Neo, this is a great song. And he turned around and he was like, yeah, but who's going to sing it? Yeah. <laughs> and the rest is history. Beyonce ends up singing it. Yeah. It stays number one for 10 weeks in the United States. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To this day, it's still Beyonce's biggest radio record. I went on tour with her around the time that she she did that. that I think that thing used to go down. A really big song. Uh, i got to tell you, <laughs> the beauty of music, isn't it? And yeah. I remember going to Madison Square Garden to see the B-Day tour. Yeah. I just bought a ticket, didn't want no backstage passes. I just wanted to go in like an ordinary punter, just go in and take in the vibes. And she had, it was almost like it was in the round. So you had the stage and then she had a walkway that took you right to the middle of the auditorium. And, oh, my God. And she performed irreplaceable yeah um before she can even start to the left to the left 
the whole bloody place, <laughs> 15,000 people, start singing that. And I think halfway through the song, she just gave up and let everybody else just sing the song. But those are moments that are ingrained in your mind that say, look at that, from this tiny studio in New York where you could barely swing a cat, (laughs) here we are. It's true. With a global smash. Enormous. And I think that was the beauty of that. And that was the first hit on Stellar Songs. That was the first one? First hit. Jeez, that was that's a very first hit. That's a big first. <laughs> Actually recouped the whole deal. You said it took, you said two years, right? Yes, two yep. years. Marty Bandit had to, had to eat his words. Marty had moved on by then though, Dan. <laughs> he had gone, he had gone to run Sony ATV then. He had gone by, by then. But anyway, that was our first taste of success. Then um, the next signing was Emily Sande. Who, who Danny found. Danny will tell you the story of um, Emily, but I loved her as soon as I heard, you know, the early demos. Danny? Go on, Danny, spill. So, yeah, no. Um, in fact, I discovered Emily with another a person who's really important to my story and Adrian's story, actually, Adrian Sykes. Okay, all right. Yeah, and Adrian yeah. ended, ended up um, actually managing Emily, but we had... You know, from day one when we we heard her, it was like, you know, this girl is just unbelievable. You know, she's special. Yeah. Um, but we heard her before meeting her. So the, the the funny part of the story is we had no idea whether she was black, white, Chinese, Indian, none. Okay. But we've we've got in touch. She's we found that she li- lives up in Aberdeen. So we book a flight. How did you hear her though? We heard her. She had entered, um, she'd entered a a competition via Trevor Nelson. That's how we heard her. Oh, Trev. He was doing like a talent search. Okay. And, uh, and she was, she was one of those. She didn't win it, but we heard this and was like, yo, this, who is that? Brilliant. You know? So we end up going to, to Aberdeen, made contact and, (laughs) The other thing that, that had really struck us from the moment the plane landed is that it felt like me and Adrian were the only two black people in Aberdeen. It's like, it didn't matter what it was like, yo. Is there, and it became like a bit of a running joke. It was like, is there, is there anyone else? But, and, is there anyone? Hello, honestly, hello, it was like hello, hello. And we, we, if we'd see an Indian person, yo, hello, that kind of hugging each other. Hi. So honestly, yeah. so uh, so we get to the, we get to the house. I ring the doorbell, and the door opens, and lo and behold, there's Emily's dad standing there. Oh, dad. Okay, all right. And it was like the shock of like, yo. So my the words that came out of my mouth were, "What are you doing here?" <laughs> and what then, are you doing and then we're now? like, "Are you trying to tell us that the only three black people in Aberdeen are standing right here?" Yeah, 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 yeah. That and, me, and him, then. and the person we're coming to see. <laughs> and uh, oh, man. and literally, the the rest is history. We went in. Yeah, we met the met the family. Of course, we met, we met Emily. Yeah. Emily then proceeded to to 
to let us hear her music. She sat at this um, piano, which I, th- I think is still in existence, but the piano was out of tune. But by the time she <laughs> finished her, her, her songs, that piano sounded like it was in tune. She was, <laughs> she was like golden, <laughs> you know, and it was like, this is that's brilliant. We're, we're in. If yeah, you're in, yeah, we're in. Yeah. yeah. And it, and that story started uh started from that there. Really good. Yeah, and then the next artist singer songwriter we signed was a young man called Labyrinth. Oh, I love Labyrinth. And uh, yeah. Extremely talented. It's oh, be- unbelievable. musician as well as like it's well, dude. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, I was introduced to Labyrinth by a young Ricky Blue. And Ricky said yeah. Tim, there's this kid, you got to hear him. And I was in New York at the time. And I was like, okay, when I come back, I'll check him out. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But in the meantime, I'll send you the music. And you can imagine I'm super busy. Yeah. So um, with, with the Stargate guys, they always take a summer holiday. And the summer holiday is two months long. Two months, okay. And it's, it's a traditional Scandinavian thing. It's yep. a, it's okay. It is um, helps you live long. Yeah, of, well, yeah, of course. De-stress too much. They would take July and August off. So, yeah. come back from New York after six months straight. The only thing you want to do is be human again. Do your washing. Watch a bit of Formula One. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Should I hear what's going on 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 uh, on UK radio? Ricky keeps hitting me, Tim. Did you listen to the music? Did you listen to the music? Did you listen to the music? And I'm like, Ricky, call me in two weeks time, man. I still want to, I'll I'll try, I'll try to, you know, be human because one thing about living and working in New York city, it really is the city that never sleeps. The energy there. Yeah, it's 24 seven. During that time, 2006, the energy was just incredible when you were dealing with two different time zones, the UK and the US, you know, it would be full on. And, you know, you want to be human again. So anyway, he kept on bugging me. And I, I remember putting the cassette in and playing it. And there was this song that came on and it was called Music Box. And this voice comes out and I'm like, oh my God, this is great. So I remember picking up my my mobile and calling Ricky and saying, let's get down there, let's meet him. And I went down to this small studio over in Woodgreen called the Chocolate Factory. There's me expecting to meet some real, you know, savvy, seasoned producer. And there was this young man sat there. And he said, "Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm Timothy McKenzie. This is what I do." Boom, boom, boom. So anyway, I sat there just listening to all of this great music going by. Towards the end of it, you know, I'm three hours in now. I'm like, "Hold on a minute, who's singing?" <laughs> and he goes, "Oh, that's me." And I'm like, "Dude, you need to make an album." And he's like, "Yeah, nah, yeah. I don't want to be. I don't want to be an artist." You know, I really want to just be, you know, a producer. And I was like, well, why not? I said, look, Calvin Harris is doing it and he's doing really well from it. You should give it a go. Anyway, I I leave and I have a conversation with 
his then manager. His manager tells me what the deal is. And I'm like, okay, all right. And I remember getting the music and going to see Guy Moot and playing the music for Guy. And Guy going, yeah, no, nah, this is this is really good. We should do this. I said, yeah, yep, absolutely. And so I go back okay. to the manager and I said, yeah, we've got a deal. And then the manager says, uh, Tim, I need a bit more money. I said, how much more money? Tells me how much uh, more money he needs. And I'm like, well, okay, yeah. all right. We're definitely good. And and um, yeah. And then fast forward six, seven months later, um, yeah. I'm back in New York and mm -hmm. Ricky hits me and Ricky says, Tim, you've got to listen to this tune. And yeah. I played a tune and it was Pass Out by Tiny Temper. <laughs> Big and tune. this voice comes out and I'm like, dude, who's singing? He goes, Tim, it's a labyrinth. The rest is history. <laughs> That's a lovely one. That's a lovely one. Wow. The rest is history. But again, it's, it's led by... You like the sound, you like what it was, and that's Absolutely. it. It's yeah. led by the passion of, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So that was kind of like publishing, management, and that's kind of, you're st that's still your, your, that's your forte now, really, isn't it? It's that whole echelon of things, publishing, management, and nurturing good talent. Yeah, absolutely. I don't, I don't think, um, I, I think everything goes hand in hand, to be honest. Yeah. I think it's about, encouraging young people to really build on what they have and to give them opportunities that you never had yourself because the major difference between my between us at stellar songs and a lot of other publishers is that myself and danny have been the artist we've been the producer yeah, that's very unique that we've been very, the writer <laughs> you know what i mean we've been been the a &R. we've been the a and r we've been you know We've, we know what that journey is. Yeah. We know what that journey is when you know your music is popping, yeah, yeah, but yeah. no one isn't giving you an inch. Or we know what it's like to be broke and knowing that, boy, if I did have another two grand, I could buy that compressor or I could get it. <laughs> <laughs> or... or you know, those yeah. are the kinds of things that, you know, really still motivate me when I see a young person come and have a meeting with us uh, here at the Stella House here in California. Yeah. Or when you have a moment when you bring two of your writers together, like a Namani and a Sam Smith with the Stargate guys and they create Dancing with a Stranger which goes on to be a huge hit, you know, yeah. those kind of moments are moments that I love the most because it's that synergy yeah. that, you know, really sort of like cements, you know, the journey, yeah. what it's been about, yeah. you know, yeah. um, totally, and totally cements what it's all about. Yeah, actually. absolutely. And, you know, I feel that uh, it's very, very easy for people to become discouraged. Our young brothers and sisters to get discouraged by how they're treated within the industry or how they're viewed within the industry. 
whether there's any investment for them within the industry. And I feel that it's one of the most disappointing things for me to see that the journey within the UK music industry has not changed significantly for our young brothers and sisters since myself and Danny were there. Yeah. And that's the side where you then have to try and play a role in trying to change that narrative, brother Lamar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you feel, do you feel though that like, do you feel that changing the narrative, I'm going to try and word this properly and try and, uh, so... In, you could speak in, candidly. Let's be my, candid. No, yeah, I'm trying to. I'm trying to be candid. I'm trying to be candid. I'm just trying to think, word it like you see, say exactly what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I'm trying to say like <laughs> if you're sometimes it can feel like on whatever journey you're on, you've come to you know the glass ceiling. You're butting your head against the wall. Yeah, I think it's nice to see people su as successful in their journey as you, but I do find it consistent that if you're from a certain background, your success is almost always a standalone thing in that you've had to detach yourself from, you know, you're an add-on to the main thing, looked at in awe, but then isn't still embraced by that same thing. Do you, you understand what I mean? You, the, yeah. Okay, yeah. I, I get exactly, I get exactly. Do you understand what I mean? It's really great to see, yeah. but it's always an add-on or do you know what? Against all odds, I'm going to do it on my own and you build an empire. You know, well, it can tire some people out <laughs> trying to build an empire and, and even not having the knowledge or not seeing enough people like you being celebrated and shouted about. You can get tired. You can say, okay, well, I can't see me there. So I'm kind of tired and I don't really know the way in and I don't have that mentor, that, that Sykes, that whoever. So yeah. I'm just going to... And that's what we've got to change. That's, that's the bit. Exactly. It starts with us. We've got to make that change. It starts with you. You having this outlet here so people can come and listen to the conversations with everybody from all walks of life is extremely important as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Very. I think, I, I think that um, myself and Danny's journey is one yeah. where um, specifically for me, I've come from a background of do for self. I've never had an industry job. I've never been, you know, in part of what they consider to be the inner sanctum, the A&R, whatever. It's been purely- the, Inner sanctum, there you go, yeah. Yeah, it's been purely based upon that desire to really be involved with music that I love. When yeah. I was making reggae music, no one wasn't giving reggae artists any major deals at that time, so you had to do it yourself. And I think that although it may be a long journey, although it may be a challenging journey, and you may get demoralized along the way, that's part and parcel of the journey and what actually makes you the person that you are. There was a, 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 a interview with one of my inspirations who sadly passed this year and his name is Andre Haral. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Andre said something that resonated with me. Andre said, listen, you've got to love the journey. 
you've got to love the journey of the of failing, of winning, of you know getting knocked back, and you know not being able to aspire or gain the things that you think you should be due. You've got to love the journey, and I, and and for me, I couldn't agree with him more because ultimately. I think from what myself and Danny have done, you know, and what we've been through, yeah. and we can talk about the glass ceiling because the glass ceiling, it can really be a real leveler. And we hit that <laughs> glass ceiling with Stargate in 2004. Oh, okay. Where certain individuals within the music business, or should I say, Yes, within the music business, specifically radio, okay. were making comments like, if I hear another Stargate record, I'm not going to play it. Oh, man. Now, myself and Danny and the guys, we could have taken that moment where we could have said, you know what, nah, we ain't good. You know what? It's been good. Change our name. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah. But I was like, yeah, no, guys, listen, we have never had success in America. I want to take time out and I want us to go and work in New York for two weeks. What made you choose that, that New York in particular? Because it was the center of the music business at that time. And at that time, a lot of the music that was coming out of America was fantastic, but it was very club orientated. A lot of the producers who were coming with big records were people like, you know, Neptunes, people like, you know, uh, Swiss Beats, yep. people like Trackmasters. They were making those hard banging records, which I loved. Yeah. But the guys were great with melodies, had really good ideas, very soulful. And so you found that you saw this a space for you. Absolutely. There was a niche right there. No one was really playing in that area. And what led us to America was basically a certain individual at a very well-known radio station in the United Kingdom saying he weren't going to play our records anymore. That famous station happens to be Radio 1. Okay, all right. <laughs> but again, oh man, I still wasn't taking no for an answer. That's a big, uh, uh, almost prejudice to, to, you know, come on, you can't just 100%. wipe out someone's thing. And this, thing. Was, and this like, wasn't like hearsay. Yeah. This is to our face. Yeah, yeah. But, but I think sometimes, you know, this goes to the heart of management as well. So if you're a young manager out yeah. there, this, is, this goes to the heart of your journey as well. Sometimes you've got to have that self-belief for your clients who you're managing to say, yeah, no, we're going to go and we're going to try this. Come on, let's give it a shot. And let's fast forward, you know, that journey led us to New York. First week, myself and Danny, we knew it could work. The guys weren't too sure, but we knew it could work. Yeah? Okay. And then on the second week... Yeah, we felt it. Yeah, on the second mm. week, I met Neo. In the second week? Yes, on the second week. <laughs> I met Neo and a young artist by the name of Rihanna. We never looked back after that. <laughs> so here we are, what is it, 16 years later. 
16 years. Here in California now, working, building, um, still signing young people. The guys are still producing, still working with great people. Yeah. And, you know, expanding. Yeah. And the journey continues. So I think, you know, the moral of the story is even when you're faced with a high level of no or adversity, you got to keep going. You got to keep reinventing yourselves. And I think when people stop doing that, and unfortunately, I've seen some incredibly talented people in the UK. Yeah. get shut down and we never hear from them again. And it's, and it's sad. It's a sad indictment. Yeah. But again, I believe that's where you got to have good people in your corner. You got to have people who are going to push you. You got to have people who are going to drive you, you know? Yeah, I think that's probably the most important thing. You know, obviously maintaining your passion is key, but I think that, I thought they say, what is it? Hurdles are put there to stop the people who don't really want it. And I think, uh, yeah, you know, when you come up against those hurdles in life, you really do have to dig deep and say, do you know what? Because what you just said about being blanket washed out, <laughs> quite a few people come across that and it does crush them. It does stop them. It does make them think, do you know, what? okay, that's their time. But to dig deep and say, do you know what? I still believe in what I do. I still have passion for what I do. What else is out there yeah. is, uh, is, 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 very, is very important. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, what else? What else? Um, uh, recent success. You've had some more recent success. I spoke to Jessica, uh, Jessica Agomba, oh, yes. uh, recently on the podcast. She's done a big one, isn't it, with David? She's done more. She's done more more than a big one. The, 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 what, <laughs> the, what the two of them um, are doing, I've got to say, it felt like. I'm, in fact, I'll give you uh, the first meeting, and I've known Jessica for a bit. I've known her as, yeah. as an artist. I didn't know her when she was in the girl group, but I knew when she went, she did the solo thing for a, yeah. for a little bit. And I thought there was something about her. It wasn't quite right. Didn't quite feel quite right as um, as a solo artist. But there was something. Even then, there was her pen. There were a couple of songs. There was like, These are good songs. They weren't yeah. the you know the big ones, but. They were just good songs. Good. So you'd yeah. go back and, and her delivery and stuff. You're like, these these are good, but it's just something about it at that time of what it wasn't wasn't it. But lo and behold, she comes around again. Um yeah. and this time she, I remember she came in, she must have played four songs, four or five songs. And I'm like, yo. These, of these five songs, there's three songs here which are just ridiculous, like one time ridiculous, you know. And it's like it's, yeah. <laughs> my DJ mode is back on, so you hear yeah, that yeah, tune, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. Oh, yeah, hell yes, that's that's gonna pop off. It's one, you know. Yeah, yeah. It was one after another. Okay. So I get to the end, I'm like, who are you making these tunes with? And that's when she says. Oh uh, yeah, those those ones that you really like. That's with this guy called David Stewart. And then she says, and in my opinion, he's the best writer producer in the UK that no one knows yet. That was the line. I went, call him. Oh yeah, call him. <laughs> and call she him. literally just call him. And she called. She called him. Low. And as fate would have it, he happened to be in the area. Half an hour later, he's sitting there and they start letting off 
these tunes one after another. Yeah. And he, he must have played played me another six tunes that they'd written together. And I literally told him at, at the end of that meeting, it felt like the first time Tim called me and we showed up in Norway because the quality of the music was of that level. That standard, yeah. I'm yeah, like, yeah, yeah, you yeah. two could be, and I literally said it, you could be the next Stargate. Nice. It just had that DNA. Yeah, you know, yeah. and then when you got to know a bit more about David's history, I knew Jessica, but David's history as an artist out of the UK, but was lived in Atlanta for three, four years. Atlanta, yes, okay. In his days of I'm, wanting, I'm going to get David. I'm going to get David on. I've got Jessica, but I'm going to get David on you at have some point. To. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, his background with his parents. I'm not going to say who they are, but when you when you get all the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle. You're like, yeah. right, okay. There's something, there's definitely something here. It and one sense. of the songs that they played me on that first meeting was a song called 415, which has literally just come out with this girl, Claudia Valentina. Claudia Valentina, I see yeah. it, okay. And that's that's someone that they've nurtured over the last 18 months. And she's literally just released the song, yeah, as of Friday, actually. Yeah. That is brilliant. But they are, they, they are, you know, as, as you've already seen, you know, I think the, yeah. the, the BTS song is, is the beginning <laughs> of, their, of their journey. You know, a hard that one to great. beat, but I, I, I mean, they very, have... They I mean, they say start two, big. I mean, they started a bit, you know. <laughs> they, those two have, the, they have that DNA, that ambition, that work ethic that tells me that they'll go close and if not, beat it. Yeah, and it's, it's really interesting because yeah. I spoke to David this morning to congratulate him on having his first top 10 radio song with Dynamite. And those are always good moments. You know, I can go back to our very first Billboard Hot 100 number one with Stargate. Still one of the best feelings you have. Yeah. That first one. You know, because uh, it's vindication on your on your decision to take a chance to roll that dice. It's that vindication. Did you know what? it took a few years? But you know what? Yes, I was right. This is good stuff, and the people agree. It's, it's enjoyable. It's passionate. Absolutely, and I feel vindicated with you know a lot of the writers that we have signed from everyone from yeah. Sam Smith to Charlie XCX yeah. to you know, uh, Grace Carter to Brass wow. Tracks, who I absolutely, yeah. you know, think are incredible. Yeah. Even You need to, to write a book. Yeah. Even, <laughs> There's you too know. many. I knew in this uh, interview, I knew that it's not possible <laughs> to fit in everything because it's just like to go from beginning to end and just list out everything that people don't actually... We'd be here for 10 years. We'd be here for quite a while. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's just brilliant, you know. I think anyone who... Who, who doesn't know, they need to get to know. And I think you guys need to speak more. Agreed. Anywhere that there is a place to talk, share this, this amazing well, journey. you know what? We, we are. And, Agreed, brother Lamar. And thank you. As turn, I, I'm going to share my thank you with you for bringing us to, to, to the table to do this. Um, it's taken us a long time and I'm one of the worst. I'm like, nah, I just do what I do and later. I ain't got, I ain't got no time for that. But, you know, recent times have re has really um, shown me that we need to do this. Because yeah. as, a, as a kid, I looked up to 
two people outside of my parents and, and my, my, my family circle and friends. It was literally Muhammad Ali. Oh, yes. Sidney Poitier. That was it. They were my two. Yeah, brilliant. You know, and I'd, I, I would hang on to whatever they said. Look at that. That's who I had to look up to. The others came along, the Marvin Gaze, et cetera, et cetera. You know, then, then it was like the Motowns of this world and stacks, what they would, what they were doing. Yeah. But as a kid, it was Muhammad Ali and Sidney Poitier. Sidney yeah. Poitier. And it's important that our kids can look up to and aspire and learn from our journeys and know that you can succeed and know that in this industry, it's not just about being the manager. It's not just about being the artist. There's so much more to this industry. Yeah, yeah. You know, yes, you know what? As an African child, my, my father wants me to be a lawyer. I can be in the law in the music industry, but no one told me I could do that. It's true. Indeed. No one told me. You could be the business manager. You could be the business manager. No one told me I could do that. Absolutely. Do you know what? That is the exact reason and the exact motive behind why I started this podcast. Amazing. Because I was saying, you know, a lot of people think it's, or a lot of people think of music and just think the artist. But the amount of people behind the scenes that it takes for the artist to be the artist, number one. Correct. And also the longer careers are actually behind that. So people need to know those options and also people need to see themselves represented there and know that it's not necessarily dependent on your background. Like you can be wherever you are, as long as you have passion and drive, then, you know, like you say, you look at these journeys and, and you think, you know, it's possible and I've just got to keep keep on going. Yeah, yeah you know? absolutely. And there's, and there's no age limit. Absolutely. You guys are sitting there older than me, looking young and vibrant in the sunny city. It's like, guys, there's no, it's not an age thing. It's not, it's just, a, it's a passion thing and a drive thing and I a desire. I couldn't agree more. Age is never a moniker for me. No. You know, it's, you know, I try to implore people, it doesn't matter what age you are. If you really have a passion for it and you live it, it is what it is. You know, it's like when people say, oh, well, oh, I'm 30 and I'm not married yet. I don't have my <laughs> own house. And then that just creates more problems. That puts more pressure on you. Yeah. You just bury yourself, you know, under a pile of nonsense that you don't need to do. And I feel, you know, representation is a real key. There have been some incredible people, brothers and sisters that I've met on my journey who are no longer in the business, who are no longer represented, yeah. who I feel would offer a fantastic support and mentorship to a lot of young people who are coming through now. Yeah, But for whatever reason, because of where we are, they're not represented. And it's a shame. Yeah. It's really, really is a shame for me. You know, I met yeah. some fantastic people on this journey and I think that they should be sharing their journeys with our young up and coming people as well. Agreed. Yeah, I think what happens when someone who's got to a certain point along the line, when that person drops off, so to speak, or disappears or, or becomes disheartened and, and is cut out, worse than them being cut out is that amount of knowledge is also lost. Correct. Someone else who could look at that and build on that misses out and then has to figure it out themselves. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a hard one, but yeah. Uh, look, do you know what? I'm just going to ask one, one last question. One last question is 
looking forward, what what's next for you? I don't think there's anything next that you can achieve, but like what what next is there? What what would you want to do? For me, I would like to see the journey through of the young executives that we're bringing through. Nice. The same way that Erskine brought me through, I would like to see them through their journey and succeed. And hopefully they plant seeds like Erskine planted it in me. We plant it in them and they plant it on. That's a big thing for me. Brilliant. Giving the the entrepreneur, the, the more entrepreneurial of the, you know character out there, a chance. Because it's not just about being within the major music system. Yeah. We need we need more entrepreneurs. We need we need more more people of ownership. Let's create our own economy. Yeah. You know, because it's something that we don't really have. We're slowly coming together, but we don't have it as I would like to see it. They have they have it way more here in America than we do in the in the UK, and it's something that really needs to to happen. Yeah, I agree with Danny. I would like I I want to help more people coming forward to embrace being an entrepreneur. Okay. To embrace ownership. To embrace taking risks and to encourage them into understanding that, yes, there are trials and tribulations, but there are going to be far greater rewards around the corner. And also help them to understand that not everything's going to go your way straight off the bat. Yeah. And that it is... More than likely it won't. Yeah, it is, it's a long game. It's not a sprint. It's a long game. Okay. Absolute legends. Thank you so much. There's a, a wealth of knowledge that you've given. No doubt someone listening in somewhere is thinking, do you know what? I can relate to them and definitely I'm going to, I don't know, dig deeper in my own journey. So uh, thank you. You are legends. I can't wait to see what more you do. Thank you so thank much, you Brother much. Lamar. I appreciate it. And again, thank you for the platform. My pleasure. It's extremely appreciated. Agreed. My pleasure. My pleasure. Brilliant. We'll do it again sometime. Blessings. I told you a wealth of knowledge. Mark this episode or star it or whatever it is you need to do. Hope it inspired you in some way. Whenever you're trying to do something against all odds, it really isn't that easy. Even when you reach where you think you need to be, the goalpost can and most probably will change. But you know what? If there's still a chance, don't give up. It is doable. Good luck on your journey. Thank you so much for listening today. If you like today's show, please do subscribe. And if you can take a moment to rate this podcast on iTunes, I appreciate you. Thanks for taking the time. If you've got any questions or suggestions for the show, please do feel free to email me. It's Lamar at thelamarshow.com. That's Lamar, L-E-M-A-R at thelamarshow.com. If you're an artist or musician and you'd like some advice, do feel free. All right, I'll catch you again on the next one. Peace.